This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Hey everyone, today's guest is singer, songwriter, and guitarist Tim Heidecker. Together we dive into the inspiration, writing, and recording behind the single Fear of Death, taken from his 2020 album of the same name. As many of you know, Tim is widely known as a comedian who's honed his craft over the last two decades, doing everything from stand-up to writing, acting, and producing. I mentioned to Tim that a lot of comedians have branched out and tried their hand at music with varying degrees of success. Usually the music is an offshoot of their comedy, and Tim has done that as well with some past musical projects. However, Fear of Death stands on its own as anything but comedic. Tim is the real deal, and he and producer Drew Erickson put together an amazing group of musicians to contribute to this recording. Tim spoke about one of the studios they tracked in, being a complete time warp where he felt like he traveled back to the 70s, and you can feel it within the track. This song sounds like it could have been recorded 40 years ago. It was tracked to tape and primarily recorded live with very few overdubs. It's refreshing, and I feel that this is something that is missing with a lot of contemporary music. To say I am impressed with Tim and his music is an understatement. So sit back, relax, and let Tim and I quell your fear of death. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Tim, how's it going? It's good. I'm in um, Mammoth, California at an Airbnb, so I apologize in advance if uh, you hear children in the background because I'm not in my usual protected zone <laughs> for these kinds of things. So my kids are coming or waking up. So that could add a little spice to the uh, conversation today. Hopefully that will make things just interesting. Perfect. And, and you're, you said you're out in Mammoth. Are you out there uh, vacationing? Not really. It was a film festival up here and uh, I took the opportunity to take the family up for a little weekend getaway and get a little like uh, annual dose of uh, snow and winter wonderland stuff. It was fun. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on today and I am absolutely intrigued. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep my thoughts together because I'm firing on all cylinders here. I have so much that I want to talk to you about. And I say I'm intrigued because, you know, Tim, there's been comedians in the past that have, uh, you know, forayed into music and, uh, Adam Sandler, Sam Kinison, yeah. Dice Clay, and usually <laughs> their music, it's, <laughs> it's not taken seriously. And it, and it's usually, uh, still comedic in some way, shape or form. It's not serious. And the YouTube comments, uh, for your music are great. There's so many comments say, at some point, I couldn't believe how serious this was. I, I figured he was going to break into character at any moment or it was going to take a comedic mm -hmm. twist or turn, but it's anything but that. Uh, so I, I want to back up from the start. What, did you first have an interest in comedy, music, or, or were they kind of intertwined? They were coming both into my life probably around the same time as, as most, you know, most people. As a teenager, you're discovering, for me at least, discovering the Beatles and... Um, and sort of the lineage of artists that are associated with them, folk music, classic rock, you know, all that stuff. At the same time, I'm getting into, S, you know, Saturday Night Live and the Kids in the Hall and SCTV and all that. Those are probably my two main interests. I 
I would say if you asked me if, you know, when I was in high school, what I wanted to be would be to be in a band or to be on Saturday Night Live. You know, one of those two things were were in my mind. Uh, So as I've, I've talked about this a lot and what I've kind of come to realize is I think you would probably ask a, a lot. You probably find that a lot of actors wanted to be musicians. A lot of musicians wanted to be actors. A lot of, you know, creative people or people that have interest in general in making stuff start, you know, not fully formed doing what they end up doing. So one of the things that's kind of easy to do as a high school kid or a teenager is get a band together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 it's a whole lot easier to do that, especially in the 90s. It's a whole lot easier to do that than like make a TV show or make a movie, you know? So I find like, you know, creative people kind of grew, uh, were attracted to each other, got together. What are you going to do on a Friday night? You know, get a cheap practice amp and, you know, a couple of guitars, you know, it's, it's pretty natural. So I played that out for a little while and, and my love of film and, and acting and all that kind of stuff kind of, drew me in that direction for a while, but I still always, you know, played guitar and wrote songs and found ways to incorporate music into my comedy. And a lot of the Tim and Eric stuff, there's, there's a ton of music going on. And yeah, so it never really left me. It just became, it kind of was sidelined professionally, at least for a little while. Right. Well, uh, yeah, you just mentioned, you know, Tim and Eric, a, a lot of your shows are, are, are music, uh, musical themed. And, and of course, you've released albums uh, such as the Yellow River Boys mm-hmm. uh, and your album <laughs> Urinal Street Station with the singles Hot Piss and Slurp It Up. Mm-hmm. I got my So again, you have the the comedy side to your music. So has it been difficult? And and do you even care or want to be taken seriously with a track uh, like today that we're going to preview, Fear of Death? It's certainly challenging a little bit from a perception perspective, I guess, if that is a phrase. But I think for me, it started 10 years ago or so. I, I always kind of felt, you know, I like making all kinds of different music and I feel like if the concept, like you mentioned, the Yellow River Boys, like the concept uh, is funny and the execution of it needs to be well done for it to be funny, you know? Yeah. So it really comes down to what the premise, you know, what the, the core premise is and how it's, how can it be best executed? But I didn't know how to do since, so quote unquote, sincere music or at least, you know, more personal songwriting. I felt sort of trapped because... I did, a, I didn't feel like I could get away with it considering my perception uh, that people have of me as being very, not only a comedian, but a comedian who uses irony and obfuscation of identity to, <laughs> yeah. as a big part of my, you know, so, so I knew what was going to happen was I was going to put something, if I put something out that was kind of coming from my real life, then most people would feel like they were being 
you know, that it was a prank or it was a parody of, of a singer songwriter, not a real, you know, singer songwriter. But, and, and, and I also felt like I didn't really have that much genuinely to say in the form of a song, you know, I didn't really like, mm-hmm. and I think this goes back to like, you know, when you're a teenager and you're writing music, like you're, you're pretty much just doing a pastiche of the kind of music you like, yeah. you know, you're, it's pretty um, unusual for, for a writer to be, introducing new ideas into the into the into the equation but i think about 10 years ago you know a couple things happened i had a kid i had a kid eight years ago but i got married and you know was kind of feeling a little more of like an adult and i also really got heavy into the music of randy newman and warren zevon too but i realized that in their music there was this place where you could be sincere or you could write about serious things but you could also there's room for humor in there too so i could sing about my life or i could sing about things i'm thinking about and it didn't have to be a full-on parody but it also didn't have to be this kind of emo humorless goth experience either you know um (laughs) you know so i found a middle ground the first album i did that with was called in glendale and that was a pretty much you know, yeah. pretty uh, straightforward. Like these are some things that are going on in my life. Well, I'm living in Glendale, north of Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm living in Glendale, north of Los Angeles. And when the flood comes, I'll be up on a hill. But when the big one comes, I'll feel like a fool. It's about where I am right now, and it's the kind of music I like to make. It's not a joke that it's, you know, but I I do think there's humor in a lot of the lines and a lot of the, you know, subject matter of the record. So that put me on like a path where I think I could every couple of years put out a record that my audience can start to understand that I'm. This is actually, you know, nobody's ever their true self, I think, when they're presenting a piece of art, you know, or piece of their, of their, I hate saying art, you know, people flag that, but, it, you know, I guess it is, but, you know, you're always putting on some kind of mask or some kind of performance, Yeah. but this one happens to not be quite as character parody driven. Well, I, I got to tell you, and I have no reason to say this. I've never heard uh, an actor, comedian, someone from the the other side, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, put out something that's this good. Oh, <laughs> this song! It, it, you know, it, it, I, I mean that it's it's great, and that's why I had asked you if it has been frustrating at all to get taken seriously because you know your <laughs> your your comedy side, all everything you, you you mentioned about it is is in complete contrast to this particular project. You know, you mentioned. Uh, Warren Zevon, uh, Randy Newman. I also read that uh, Boz Skaggs is an influence, which is funny because my band is uh, talking about doing a cover of Lido. Uh, oh, yeah, soon. great song.
great song. And uh, we, we were talking about that recently. You had mentioned some influences were like uh, classic rock, 70s, and folk. And I mean, in, in this track, I hear Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I yeah. hear some Grateful Dead, Almond mm-hmm. Brothers, Steely Dan, early Fleetwood Mac, even Traveling Woolberries. And nice. you know, you were born you were born mid 70s. So, you know, and, and again, the thing that really amazed me, I had no idea which, what, you know, I knew your comedy music, but when I had played this track, I was like, where is this coming from? And, you know, how did you get this sound? And I, I dug a little further. There's five producers on the album Fear of Death. Uh, it's a it Drew... sounds like a nightmare, but there's a reason for it. OK. Yeah, and I want yeah. And I want to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we got Drew Erickson, who's produced uh, Lana Del Rey, uh, uh, Natalie Maring, who goes by Wise Blood, Jonathan Rado, who plays in Foxygen. Uh, he's produced The Killers, Father John Misty and and Wise Blood. And you're also listed as producer. There's twenty nine other musicians besides yourself that's credited on this project wow. project as well so you know just give me a little bit of how this all came about it's, it's it's amazing well it's it's a long and winding road but i think it's a good one and the way you phrase it the or frame it it feels a little like a, you know like some kind of aerosmith album from the late <laughs> 90s where it's this you know giant corporation putting it's it's certainly not that at all but it all started, I put out a couple records and, and Jonathan Rado was kind of the first guy I met that, you know, working with people like Father John Misty and and uh, the killer, like he's in sort of at the forefront of what's happening in re- actual rock and roll or, or you know, quality um, artists who are kind of pushing things forward a bit. And he's a, a really great musician and a great producer who... Uh, realizes that I think the reason we all love that stuff from the 60s and 70s so much is the the organic uh, recorded in a room in a studio on tape playing real instruments yeah. with great musicians. That's kind of the secret sauce, you know. So he, I started working with him. We had a common interest, a common interest uh, or love of the same things like Randy Newman, the band, the Beatles, of course, you know, all, all that stuff. And he's got the, the gear and he's got the, the philosophy uh, to make records that sound that way. So he's got the tape machine and the vintage gear and stuff. And so we started making records that way. I'd made a couple records with him. And so I knew that's how I kind of wanted to keep making records and keep making music if I was going to do it at all. And I had some songs brewing and I had this song, Fear of Death, sort of uh, demoed and trying to figure out what I was going to do with it. And I had just started doing this podcast in my office uh, that was just sort of a live call-in show called Office Hours that I still do. Mm-hmm. And a friend recommended I invite Wiseblood on, Natalie Maring. And so I did, and I didn't know her music that well, but she came on and it's a very loose, fun uh, podcast. And we joke around and take calls, but I, you know, I, I can be sort of a, a little braggadocious on the on the podcast and I have my guitar there and I said you know Natalie we should do a song together I have this song fear of death and I start just playing it for her and she starts singing over it and it's pretty loose and and but but sparks were there and it was sort of like that sounds pretty good I 
Wouldn't you kill that one? Yeah. I mean, it's not a good message. <laughs> Fear of death is keeping me alive for sure. So we'll we'll record that together. Yeah, no problem. With Rado. Yes. He would kill that one. He would kill it, yeah. It's got a Crosby stills in The now. two of us singing together is kind of a neat flavor. And about a week later, I went to go see her. And I, again, I really didn't know her music that well, but I went to go see her and she like, blew me away if people don't know why his blood it's pretty you know it's like a generational talent i think oh, she, she's awesome she's awesome After the show, I went to the because I'm a cool guy. I went to the little after after party there at the at the at the space, and this guy Drew Erickson, who was playing keyboards with her, came up and introduced himself and said, "I heard you and Natalie singing on on Office Hours. I wonder if you want to go into the studio and cut that as a track." And I just said, "Sure." You know, I don't know you, but you seem like a you know you seem like, if you're working with her, you got to be talented and anyways he went up to natalie we went up to now said hey do you want to go in the studio and do a couple of songs or something and she said sure i'm free and and i'm not this is this sounds like apocryphal or something but i was in it was thursday and he said well let me make a few calls and uh if you're free next week let's do it next week so over the weekend he called me and said i have a band uh i have a studio uh, for Monday and Tuesday. Can you do Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? And I said, and I ha and we were happened to be, I was like, I'm not working this week. So yeah. Okay. He says, all right, well just make sure you have some songs. And so I just didn't even know if this was real. I just thought, okay, uh, let's see. I go through my folder and find that I have a, you know, I fleshed out fear of death a little more. And I had about three or four other songs that I felt were in good enough shape to to bring to the to the table and sent them over and didn't hear very much but but then on monday i i go to this studio called valentine studios which is in in the valley and it's one of these places that uh i was a studio in the 70s in the 60s and the 70s and literally was boarded up uh like mothballed you know just <laughs> walked walked away from and then reopened about five or six years ago where it was like a time capsule. It was like you walk in there and it's, you know, the, the orange carpet and the, you know, lime green baffles and stuff. And it, it really was like a time machine back into like a 60s, 70s studio with a lot of this, the, the old gear there and stuff. And so Drew, Drew had brought with him Stella Mazgawa on drums, who is a just insanely great session drummer but also with her own projects and this uh, bass player zach dawes and uh this other guitar player who i can't remember but um and natalie shows up and then drew says later these 
uh, who I, I know a little bit, these guys, the, the Lemon Twigs, these two brothers, who also are, are uh, um, Brian and Mike Diodario is their name, and they're these young kids, and well, they're not so young anymore, but they, they, their stuff is, is next level too. And they also feel like they just came out of a time machine because <laughs> they, they look like they're in the spiders from Mars or something like they're, they're the real deal. And they're, they're some of the most talented musicians I've ever met. And so it's just all there for us to, to make music, you know, and I, I go into the big room, the big live room and, and I'd sent everybody some demos, but everybody's pro and and drew had kind of drew up a few charts and i played everybody the song and guitar and everybody just started working on it and it happened extremely fast there was you know i'm, I'm i think i had the demo and i as you said it has sort of this this steven stills that that's probably the biggest thing that i was riffing on yeah as a demo at least just playing it myself it sort of had this love the one you're with kind of quality yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sort of the do 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 do, you know, and um, <laughs> I love that song. Yeah, and, and anyway, so I, 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 my challenge always, I think, I'm not, I'm like pretty rhythmically challenged. I don't know how to approach rhythms and and time signatures, and so so I, I always, you know, I'm pretty good with melodies and lyrics and stuff like that. But if I was going to do this on my own, I wouldn't know where to begin playing drums to this song. Right. So. Well, the coolest thing was Stella just hearing it and going like, okay, I know I know what to do with this and finding this groove and finding this, you know, kind of Latin, I don't know, samba or something, some kind of rhythm that really went beautifully with, with the chords I had. And, you know, it just all fell into place. It sounds to me like a lot of magic was happening. Here you walked into this time capsule studio. You're soaking up the mojo because, again, if someone would have played me this track, Tim, out of nowhere and said, oh, this is from a 1979 record from some obscure band, I would have believed it was recorded back then. Uh, and I think you touched on this a moment ago. I'm assuming this was recorded to tape, right? Not to Pro Tools? Yeah. You know, there's this school of, uh, of thought or musicians or philosophy with Rado and a few other people that I now work with, Mac DeMarco is another one where if you got it, you know, it, 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 it sounds great, but I think it also introduces a discipline of trying to get a, a live performance, mm -hmm. you know, and not, uh, and committing it to tape literally. Whereas with Pro Tools, you kind of have this in the back of your head feeling that you can, you can futz around with it later and yeah. you can stack stuff and everything. And not that there's not overdubs on, there's plenty of overdubs going on. And Pro Tools does work into the equation where you're recording on Pro Tools at the same time. And then you're also backing stuff up that way, printing onto Pro Tools and doing all this stuff. But there is this um, desire to get certainly the drums and certain, the, the sort of meteor fattier uh warmer stuff onto the tape yeah i'll tell you what i love i i love the 
the the feeling of almost like a jam band with this. You know, nothing is copied. Mm-hmm. Nothing is copied and pasted. It's free form. You can tell that that uh, I, I think a, a lot of this, uh, especially the guitar playing, uh, the solos and stuff were off the cuff. You know. Yeah, that you feel that you feel like I, I love the feeling of like. This is, you know, verging. It could go off the rails. Yes, but yes. Of, it kind of holds holds its own barely. Um, yeah, that that's that's. I mean, when you get to hear that in music, it's very rare these days, and uh, you know, it's just exciting to me personally. It is me as well, and I, and I got to say, I'll say it again. I just the whole track, I'm completely completely impressed with, and I want to jump into the song now. Uh, I was telling my producer Chris before we, we started rolling that the song's four minutes, but it feels like it's two minutes. It goes by so quickly. I think the arrangement just makes it flow. Uh, it's not a super fast song, so a four minute song that's kind of mid tempo, you think it would drag on, but this thing just moves. It starts out with um, eight bars of music. The band is in right off the top: drums, bass, acoustic guitar sounds like there's three electric guitars one's panned left one's panned right and you got one up the middle i noticed in the video is that natalie in the video playing uh piano yes but i i think um that was obviously you know, that was shot much later. I don't hear piano on the track. Very good. Yeah, I think we uh, <laughs> we got away with murder there because. Uh, <laughs> okay. I feel we we came back to do the video months later. You know, and uh, Natalie rightly says like well, she didn't play. I don't think she played anything on that song. But she thought, well, I don't really want to just be standing there singing. You know, like that's kind of lame. And so I was just sit at the piano and pretend you're playing piano who cares yeah you know? and i so. mean I, I was i was really listening like for maybe low piano chords i'm like yeah i, I can't hear piano you know so yeah uh that, no, i think there, there's just organ on that yeah okay okay yeah that's i i do do hear some organ pads uh verse one i live in fear of everyone i hope I live in fear of everyone. I hope you understand. Don't count on us becoming friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think uh, a, a lot of songs are cathartic and are written in a in a moment that doesn't necessarily define who that person is or doesn't. Maybe that's just how I was feeling that day, you know, and I think it was uh, maybe coming from a place of often my public perception or how I put myself out there in interviews or in uh on twitter or in my podcast it kind of comes across as kind of a tough not tough but you know just like i take a lot of heat i give a lot of heat i put off a lot of uh, kind of an ironic distance that might that people might think uh nothing gets to me or nothing bothers me and uh the truth is i think like everybody we're we're vulnerable and we I've, you know, certain social anxieties in certain situations. I don't necessarily, and I don't think I'm, I think I'm, you know, not unusual in this, but I don't always love going to parties and being around people I don't know. And, and uh, I feel much more comfortable in smaller, smaller groups. And, you know, my days of uh, also just getting older, you know, I'm 46 now, the, the days of kind of going out and partying and, and, uh, you know, whatever, not that I ever really was a big like club guy or anything, but 
those days are kind of over and I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty, I'm okay with that. You know, so there was that, those thoughts going through my head yeah. around that time. In the green hills and the golden fields and lakes that were made for swimming. Don't go away. We got lots more with Tim Heidecker after a few words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. Hey, everybody. If you like Chris Demakes a podcast, I'm going to assume that you like music podcasts. And if you like music podcasts, check out One Hit Thunder. Each week, we dive into a one-hit wonder, and along the way, we gain some knowledge and have some laughs. Lou Bega, Crazy Town, Harvey Danger, The New Radicals, AHA. We're over 100 episodes in now, and to paraphrase the great Matthew Wilder, nothing's going to break our stride. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. You must be a tree to move out of the city. Now back to the show. You use the term vulnerable, and uh, that's a word I had written down here. These lyrics sound like you're you're being vulnerable. You're being very very honest and open, which again <laughs> you wouldn't expect <laughs> coming from someone like you from from the other your other career of, of being in comedy. You know the the vocals here, Tim, sound double tracked in unison. Are yeah, are they? They are, and in fact, I I went back to listen to the demo that I have of this song. And even in the demo, I double track them. I live in fear of everyone. I hope you understand. Don't count on us becoming friends. I think I'm done. That's part of the, the song. As I'm trying to explain how I want the song to feel, like that's a, that's a 
core part of its DNA, I think, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And, and, and I love that it. Sound. I love it because, the, the, you know, a lot of times when you double track, you know, the producer will want it to be lined up perfectly. It's not lined up. Per- it kind of pushes and pulls, which, again, lends itself to like that 70s sound. Your vocal is yeah. also, your vocal and the drums. Most of the drums are also panned slightly left. A very cla- mm. a very classic rock thing to do. And that just kind of adds to that warmth. The next section we get into here is what you would call a refrain. I'm kind of calling this pre-chorus number one. A refrain for the listeners differs from a chorus. A refrain is saying the same thing over and over where a, a chorus could do that, but a chorus could have uh, other lyrics coming in. And the lyric here is, I think I'm done growing. I think I'm done growing. I think I'm done growing. It happens three times. And this is when the first backing vocals come in uh, from Natalie here. And the harmonies are panned uh, right, but the backing vocals here are featured loudly. It's not like a backing vocal. It's like a featured part with you. I think that's great. Yeah, you know, I think one of the touch points for for the way Natalie works into this record is Desire from Bob Dylan, where the way that Emmylou Harris comes in. Yeah. You should not treat me like a stranger. I follow and I like the way that you act. And you must realize the danger. To me, it's not a backing. It's like a co-lead vocal or... Yes. Um, you know, it's very much in that... You were the Robert Plant, Alison like, Krauss record. You know, there's just like uh, some classic male-female harmony singing records that we love. And yeah, so so... She just, it's again, none of it's too pre-thought or pre, uh, pre-planned. pre It's kind of capturing the moment. Um, her finding places to come in and not, not, it's all, you know, instinctual, guttural kind of things. Well, that's what I wanted to ask too. Was, was the demo uh, this arrangement or did it go through changes? Do you recall? I just listened to it and it's pretty, you know, it's just me and acoustic guitar. I do do kind of this a uh, few points in the demo. I do the da 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 kind of sing that so and there, there is i do a little like freak out electric guitar stuff at the end on the demo so i think again i didn't have the rhythm and i didn't have sort of how the drums would play but there are like indicators in the demo of of how i feel it should end up sounding I think. of where of where you were going with it yeah well af- yeah. after this uh, first pre-chorus one or, or refrain uh there's an eight bar reintro. uh the guitar solo is panned left and then there's a counter guitar that's less busy uh that that is panned right here and then we get into verse two I 
I don't want to leave the house again. No more partying. I learned all I am going to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, you know, I think what happens in songwriting sometimes is you, you've got a great first verse. And then the question is, what now what? Like, I, I do is this going to be a song where I kind of restate my position in various ways? You know, I think that's kind of <laughs> kind of essentially what what happens here. You know, all kinds of great artists end up doing that in various ways. But yeah, I think I'm essentially digging in my position, digging in on my position. <laughs> and maybe like, I think I often maybe, maybe start with a more sincere position early in the song. And then hyperbole starts coming into play, you know, or you're, I'm over, overselling a little bit my position for the sake of drama, for the sake of uh, making it more interesting. Yeah, there's there's a couple lines in the song, the partying line, there's a, one, one uh, a little bit later we'll get into that there's an underlying comedic sense here I was feeling too, you know, very, very, su- yeah. very, very subtle. Uh, I like on uh, partying here, on that actual lyric, or, or when, when you sing it, uh, there's uh, three single notes on the guitar that mimic the melody there. No more partying. Thought that was really cool and i'm assuming that was an overdub yeah all the guitar lead stuff i believe is is brian diodario and i think actually if i'm not mistaken he's playing the lead lead that that sort of jerry garcia yeah <laughs> uh, mix is it mixolydian is that what it is or it's some kind of very free form kind of scaling that he's doing but the uh but his brother brian I'm sorry, his brother Michael is kind of playing the chunkier rhythm stuff that counterpoints that. And I feel like we were, if I have to save the bands we're thinking about here beyond, listen, I'm not a, I really am, I'm pretty openly not a fan of the Grateful Dead. I don't really, I really, there's lots of things I just hate about them, but there's some things I like about them, you know. And so, <laughs> well, I was cautious. And, I was cautious about li- listing them as an influence to you because you know, yeah. a Grateful Dead could be a four-letter word to a lot of people. But yeah, uh, you know, it, I don't think it was so much from you, the Dead. I think it's from the other musicians that, that you had playing with you here, and I and I did pick yeah. up on that, especially in the guitar leads. But I I always hear when I hear that lead stuff, and I get uh, what I hear at least is is eight miles high. Like I hear the that Roger McGuinn kind of freak out solo. That's the sound that created sort of like that psychedelic solo kind of that kind of scale. To me, that's what I hear has this kind of slightly Middle Eastern vibe to it. But I think we're also thinking about like the faces and the way that or even the stones, the way that two guitar players kind of play off each other, Mm -hmm. a little bit of that going on with those two playing together. For the listeners that don't know the faces, uh, Rod Stewart sang for them. What a a great band.
Yeah, I mean, the faces, I believe, are... We were actually thinking about them a lot uh, on a few of these songs. The uh, Come Away With Me song, I feel like we were like, let's pretend we're the faces. Like That's something we do a lot in the studio. It's like, who are... What band are we today? You know, what? <laughs> just to give you a little, like, direction. Yeah. You know, and, and that feeling, again, of, like, tumbling down the hill, a little bit of that feeling of um, barely holding it together. This is, like, the third take. You know, this is not... This has not been ground down into into just monotonous karaoke here. We're yeah. still learning it. I love it. Well, we get back into uh, pre-chorus two, the next refrain. All I am gonna learn. I think I'm done growing. I think I'm done growing. I think I'm done growing. Says the lyric three times. I think I'm done growing. Uh, this is the same as pre-chorus one, except uh, there's a couple of staccato guitar stabs here on the last line, mm. right before we get into the chorus. We hit the chorus at the minute and eight second mark. Fear of death is me alive. lyric is the fear of death is keeping me alive the fear of death is keeping me alive the fear of death is keeping me alive happens three times there and uh what are you saying there that's that's pretty pretty morbid in a sense <laughs> yeah well yeah it it's again you know it's a moment of time where a thought crosses my mind and i don't it, it is that sort of uh existential thought of i have certain anxieties and certain fears and you know i've have a, I've a tremendous uh fear of heights uh that has gotten worse as i get older and uh, i've been a- been thinking about it a lot and and i guess this is my way of incorporating it into my art or into my music is is sort of like why am i afraid of heights you know i'm afraid of heights because i don't want to fall and i don't want to die and why am i afraid <laughs> to you know why am i afraid to die you know what is i was joking on my podcast about if you believe in the afterlife which i guess i don't but you know <laughs> why would you be afraid to die you know sounds great you know sounds like you're if you believe in heaven like geez get get there as quick as possible yeah you know? but, yeah <laughs> which is why i think the church has made it a sin you know to kill yourself because otherwise, if you're telling people in church, like, you know, you're going you're going to paradise, whatever. It's like, <laughs> OK, let's do it. What the hell? Um, so, you know, I think it's just this. The, the, I like the ir- ironic concept of <clears throat> the reason I'm alive is because I don't want to die. Yeah. Maybe that's as simple as it gets, you know, and it's our that's like our lizard brain a little bit, too. You know, like this sort of unknowable instinctual animal you know genetic thing that that keeps us doing all the dumb shit we do every day mm-hmm. is because we have a impossible to understand reason to keep going well natalie's vocal uh, is here on all three lines i'm, I'm, I'm not going to call it a backing vocal anymore. i'm going to call it a, a, the the other vocals co-lead. <laughs> the co-lead yeah. co- co- vocals here on all three lines uh it's still panned off to the right where yours is off to the left and there's a cool guitar picking uh here uh, an arpeggiated guitar part that's panned off to the right and it just uh, it only comes in on this chorus and it's it's just it's really cool after this we get a reintro of four bars of what i'm calling a post chorus uh with some really 
really reverbed uh, la 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 vocals. It's just mm-hmm. really 70s tripped out. I, I love the vocal treatment there. And then uh, there's a noodly guitar part uh, that happens before an eight bar reintro with another guitar solo panned off to the right this time, introducing yet another another solo here. And uh, I love I love that part before we get into verse three. I appreciate it. It is, uh, it is all Brian Diodario just get letting him take several passes at the track. I think probably a few of those were us while we were out getting tacos, you know, it was just like, go have fun, you know, have fun, Brian. And we'll listen later and go, uh, feel, feel free to, freak out on it a little bit and i'm telling you yeah. this track takes me back to the 70s driving in my grandfather's cadillac listening to am radio there's just something so uh, you know everything you're talking about going analog with this to tape uh the studio you re- you recorded in the, the mojo from that the musicians that you put together it's 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 really cool verse three i linger on until it's done i think it's understood I linger on until it's done. I think it's understood. There ain't going to be no happy end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, any, any, more good, digging, any more good news, Tim? <laughs> digging digging in. Digging in my, to my position here. Like, yeah. uh, how do you think this is going to end up? There ain't going to be no happy end, you know? Like, what is... So, again, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is going to be on my uh, tombstone or anything, but... Uh, you know, I, I think in a weird way, this music was all done before COVID hit. And the, we, this was recorded in 2018, I think, but, or 2019, but it, it was, it was 2019. And, uh, but it came, it came out sort of in the middle of the uh, pandemic. And it felt a little like when it did come out, it connected a little bit with how people were feeling at the, at the moment. Right. Well, uh, there's a guitar playing a high part up an octave that's panned right. It's almost a harmony to the lead vocal. It's, it's a bit loose uh, that happens on the next section on the refrain. And I'm not really sure if you know what I'm talking about there. I was gonna. Li- I ended up just listening to the demo, and I didn't listen to the track this morning. <laughs> That's fine. I yeah, trust no, you. It's, I trust you. Yeah, and again, the lyric is, "I think I'm done growing." This happens three times after verse three. What I love about the refrain happening this time is that usually it goes to the chorus or something else, but we go right in to verse four. It happens immediately, and it and it just it kind of caught yes. me. Off, it kind of caught me off guard the first time, but I, but I love it. I don't want to sound too moribund or too depressing. I don't see the value in having fun. I don't want to sound too moribund or too depressing. I don't see the value in having fun. 
And Tim, I think I've seen the I think I think I've seen the word moribund, and I, I was pretty sure the root of it was was morbid. And for the listeners, because I did not know the definition of this word, nor have I ever heard it in a song. Props to you. Uh, moribund is at the point of death, in terminal decline, lacking vitality or vigor. So uh, in- interesting, interesting word. I can't believe it didn't end up in a Danzig song or something. You know, like that. <laughs> <laughs> Where so what, what what's going on here? I don't want to sound too moribund or too depressing. I don't see the value in having fun. Well, I think now we're entering the grab the the thesaurus part of the songwriting experience. You know, yeah, I think Drew, Drew loves that line too. Moribund. He just thought. That, I think it's it's like I think by this point there's a bit of a the irony setting in a little bit, and it's a little bit making fun of myself at this point. But I also as a again as a forty five. 46 year old man just some of these ideas of having fun feel a little not i'm not as connected to those things anymore or something you know so yeah um i don't see the value in having what is what is what's the point in having fun you know just 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 (laughs) again not like not planting my flag on this just sort of bringing it up and coming from a from a different perspective well, we get into the last refrain. I'm calling it pre-chorus four, which, which Tim, this is, you know, this part happens four times in the song, more than any other part. This is almost like the chorus. It, it, yeah. it really is. And it, and it's so dang catchy. Uh, the harmonies change here on lines two and three. Fun. I think I'm done growing. I think I'm done growing. I think I'm done and it sounds like maybe another voice was added there too. Hmm. I love how it changes the harmony changes on those lines. Yeah, I think I think we're just one another kind of songwriting producing trick or rule that you I'm sure know and people should think about when they're making music is just to keep things interesting and keep the the listener's ear active in the experience so that like you said adding that second chorus before you know, second verse you know, just little rhythm changes or adding a bar, adding just so it doesn't feel like it's just something copy and pasted over and over again. And that there's that there's a building that happens and and it, it grows and changes in, in interesting ways. I think those are always things that uh, that you're that you're shooting for when you're in the studio mm-hmm. well uh chorus two happens right after this and the lyric again is the fear of death is keeping me alive fear of death is keeping me happens four times instead of three like the first chorus and the arpeggiated guitar from chorus one is now replaced with a guitar soloing off to the right and kind of subtle first two lines it gets busier uh, on the back half and uh, again there's a fourth line uh, to this chorus unlike chorus one and on the last line when you say alive the whole band goes to the D chord instead of the B minor yeah. and it just it just lifts there yeah. and those harmonies are just they're just awesome
Yeah, that is, I think, not in the demo. I think that that was in the studio probably as a as a new part that feels like this is going to sound, this is going to be a cool moment live, you know, if we ever play it live. Like that's going to be the yeah. part where you just can do the P-Towns and swing, you know, arm twirl and <laughs> kind of rock out a little bit. I think it's it's always great in a song to, especially a song that's just kind of, kind of grooving the whole time and, and in its own little rhythmic loop to have it again another surprise to the ear where you kind of let the band let the let the drummer finally hit her uh her crash cymbals you know <laughs> and rock out a little bit well it's cool and and after the after this chorus you know you you could have just went into the outro and i think a lot of rock songs or songs would have done that but no you guys go into another eight bar instrumental break and the band is all hitting together one two three and one, two, three. It happens three times. And it leads mm-hmm. up into the outro. Was that idea on the demo? Because again, it, it seems like upon first listen, where'd this, where's this coming from? But it just works so well leading out to the outro. Yeah, I think uh, I think in the demo I do have this little freak out guitar thing that's over the main riff. So there was in my head I think the idea to to go out on sort of a, a instrumental controlled jam, not irresponsible jamming. Just <laughs> <laughs> I like irresponsible jamming. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> I've irresponsibly jammed before for eight hours and nothing comes from yeah. it. Yeah, so I can relate. It's fun for it's fun for the musicians, not for the listeners. The outro, uh, it is the lyric six times, and it's it's keeping me alive. And man, there is a really cool like. I'm going to say 70s again, sounding echo on the vocal here. It reminds me of what they used to use on Kiss, on Paul Stanley's vocals, oh. on those early Kiss records. It's such a cool uh, a cool treatment here. On the first two lines, it's just you. On the third line, Natalie comes in. And on the fourth line, the harmonies hang over this line. And they kind of just kind of swirl in the speakers. And there's just now really crazy echo that's happening there. I'm assuming that all came out in the, in, in the mixing stages. What, yeah. what was that like hearing that back for the first time? Was that such a great part? So cool. I mean, th- this song, we just were looking for places to to highlight in, in, the, in the whole record. But in, in this song, like, where do we let Natalie fly? Where do we let her soar a little bit? And there's always moments throughout the record where like, go, Natalie, do what you do. Like, like let loose and, you know, get free over these over these dark lyrics here but yeah i think we worked with our um our engineer our mixer just just adding you know some texture and flavor to to the mix to give it a little bit of production you know studio wizardry feeling because it is it is pretty live uh you know there's not a lot of bells and whistles from a from a 
production standpoint going on. I said that same thing to our producer before we started rolling. It not a lot of bells and whistles, but it doesn't need yeah. it. If you had all that extra stuff, it, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't have that that feel of what you're going for. Well, I was just going to say one thing to that, which is when we were making this in the studio and we were listening back. I think there was more on the track. There was more acoustic guitars, uh, and mm-hmm. there was more rhythm. There was some more percussion and stuff. And Rado, who didn't, who kind of produced. You know, I, I don't think he he helped out in various ways and played on this record. It wasn't there all the time, but he did come in and we were listening back to this. And he he's got this kind of weird Phil Spector kind of, you know, genius vibe to him. And he not to say that he's been uh, you know, he's murdered anybody or anything, but. Um, you know, he went in there, he went in there, was like, you know, take, take this out, take that out. And he started taking stuff out. And that's, that's also key. I think uh, a good producer knows when to like strip things back and not, not just pile on the kitchen sink. Great point. So he took out some acoustic guitars and took out some, like a tambourine or something, you know, he was like, no, this this is going to be so cool. It's just kind of bony and kind of, you know, kind of rigid in certain ways, you know, the less is more philosophy. Yeah. Well, the, the you know I'm, I'm glad you mentioned you know letting Natalie kind of have her moment here because on the fifth it's keeping me alive. It's just you. But interestingly enough, the last it's keeping me alive. The last lyric uh, vocals you hear in the song uh, is just Natalie on that last one. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I I felt like I um I bet you I was going and going and uh, in the mix kind of dropped me out because it's like there's a there's something good about repetition. And then it gets to an annoying place, probably, where it's like, I think, uh, you know, I'm not the greatest singer. And and, and I've, I've noticed I can uh, I'm very sensitive to when I start sounding like I'm I think I'm Bruce Springsteen, but I'm not, you know, and I start <laughs> kind of getting in that growling rock singer thing. And I think that works sometimes. And there's and like it's just in small doses, it works. And so I, I bet you I bet you in the if you brought up the tracks, uh, there's more of that. And I, we probably just dropped me out for a few. <laughs> gotcha. Well, the, the end here is a 16 bar outro, which is the intro verse progression with a guitar solo. Yet again, another guitar solo to take us out. Uh, the band ends together, uh, with the last note of the guitar kind of fading. And then there's this like trippy echo sound, uh, right at the very end, you hear off in the left speaker. I don't know mm. if that was a, a, a from a delay or something or an, a, a Probably, reverb that yeah. was on, but uh, it's really cool. And then and, and then the song ends. I got to tell you, again, I'm uh, beyond impressed with the track, beyond impressed with uh, just how different this is from what uh, what people what people associate you with. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. It's something I'm very proud of. I'm proud of the whole record. And, uh, I'm, you know, I get the nicest things I've that people say about our general. A lot of them are from musicians and 
that that means a lot to me. So I appreciate that. No, it, it's awesome. And is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with before we uh, sign off here? What, what you got coming up? Uh, and, any tour dates to take the music on the road? Well, I am playing in New York in April. That's uh, I'm gonna I've got a sold out show at the Bowery Ballroom, and then we've added another show at the Williamsburg Music Hall. So that's a couple of days after that in April. That's on my website or anywhere you want to find me. Uh, I do have another record coming later in the year. That's just as you know, as you know, how, how, how hard and long it is to put things out these days. It's all ready to go. It just has to uh, go through the channels of release that we're now in that are annoying and frustrating, but um, yeah, so more music's coming. All, all sorts of stuff's coming. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, Tim, man. This has been great. Thank you. There's lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week, I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Do you enjoy the content and production of Krista Makes a Podcast? Do you have an idea for a podcast? Or an existing podcast that you'd like to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. At WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have over 25 years of combined experience in the pod field, and we're ready to help you succeed in the golden era of podcasting. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and bio to Band You Might Not Know at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Sad Plant, a pop punk band from Toronto, Canada, consisting of Jimmy on lead vocals, no last name necessary, Caleb Chong on rhythm guitar and backing vocals, Jack Herbert Ballantyne on lead guitar, Aiden Fine on bass, and Garrick Zegerman on drums. You can find their music on all the streaming sites, and here's a snippet of their song, Problems. Chris and Chris. Well, Chris, I did my absolute best not to geek out too much when I first started talking to Tim. I let him know that I'm a huge fan. I honestly think he's one of the funniest people on earth. I've followed his whole career, seen him live a bunch of times, you know, with Tim and Eric when he came to Pittsburgh and everything. But this was such a cool thing to see a different side of Tim. And dude, I love that you just focused on the music and not the comedy. I'm sure that Tim doesn't mind talking about his comedy, but I think I could tell that he was 
really happy to be talking about music in a serious matter. For sure. You know, if he would have brought it up, we would have ran with it and talked, you know, I would have talked about a, a bunch of stuff that he's done because it's, it's awesome, as you said. But uh, I, I wanted to focus on the song mostly because, you know, when you presented this to me, Chris, I didn't know what I was getting into. And I listened to it and, and I had talked at the top of, uh, uh, of the show. We started rolling that you got to think back to comedians that have released music. It's usually just an extension of their comedy or which, which Tim has done. He's done comedy, comedy music you know recordings but this was just so far removed and again i had mentioned that the youtube comments are, are great they're like i at any moment i thought he was gonna you know break break into character here and this was all all a joke uh, you know but no it it's serious and it's really good right it is awesome and yeah man as a guy who goes real deep into tim heidecker comedy and and everything he's done a lot of times you don't know if you're getting a sincere Tim or kind of a character that he puts on, but it was awesome to get a sincere musical talking about music, Tim, in this episode. And I thought you did a great job of uh, kind of guiding that along too, Chris. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I, I was, this was a different, uh, different look for the show for us. You know, we've typically had just uh, people from bands on here and Tim was, has this whole other career. And uh, I, I wanted to give him the respect of, of treating his music seriously because it is serious. And, you know, at some point I started reading off the producer credentials and 29 extra musicians and, and he kind of laughed and, and was like, yeah, you know, seems kind of blown out and pompous or whatever. But I was just amazed that he was able to put all of this together. The guy is super busy. He has a podcast. He has TV shows. He's, uh, you know, how he could uh, orchestrate and put all this together. And I thought that story was really, really cool. Chris, I thought it was really cool how the song came together and how podcasting came into play there that he had Natalie as a guest on Office Hours Live yeah. podcast, which if if anyone doesn't listen to that, I listen to every episode of that podcast and it's hilarious. It's awesome. Uh, but that he had Natalie on his podcast and that spawned this the song we're talking about that that spawned the collaboration how cool was that it, it's so cool and and this is the 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 second time uh, last week we had genesis uh on talking about how his manager threw him in a room with people he had no idea and now all of a right. sudden it kind of happened with tim besides natalie you know here he is, uh, you know, the producer said, hey, we got some some studio musicians who are going to join us. Like, he had no idea going in, and the fact that this track came out of that is, is, is impressive. Right. He stepped into that time portal into the 70s at that studio uh, with, yeah, what it sounds like for the most part, strangers who were prepared, who he had sent the demo to, uh, and he walked into just a, a room full of professionals who are ready, you know, to make this song come to life and they did an amazing job and he did an amazing job of writing the song as well. He kind of, da he kind of downplayed his, his, his uh, vocal prowess at the end. You know, I'm not the greatest singer. I think his voice is cool. I think his delivery is yeah. cool. I think it works. Uh, it, it works perfectly for this track. Yeah, man. He cited uh, Randy Newman and, and Warren Zavon and, you know, people that, dude, we've talked about this recently, people that have, incorporated humor into their music and just because you incorporate a little bit of humor into your music doesn't mean that the music is a joke yeah. you know it's we incorporate 
humor into our music. I think the Beatles incorporated humor into their music. Sure, and, and as I mentioned, you know, he <laughs> had the record about uh, drinking urine that he put out. Well, so, yeah, that one. <laughs> that, that one, that's different. Yeah, no, the I'm, Yellow River Boys I'm is just, different. I'm just saying that, that here he, he did that, and, it, you know, if you would have presented that to me and that was the song we were going to break down, Chris, I'd be like, okay, the guy's a comedian, I get it, you know, but this was anything but that, and I had even cited a few examples, you know, Adam Sandler, Sam Sam Kennison, Dice Clay, you know, when they did music, you knew what you were getting. And Fear of Death was just the complete opposite of that. It was so refreshing. And uh, I'm glad he's out. I had asked him at the end if he has any uh, tour dates coming up and, he, and he's playing. I'm glad he's taking this on the road. I think that uh, I, I think it's it, it's really, really cool that that this is so different than what he's known for. And I think it, I think it's going to surprise a lot of people that are unfamiliar with his music. I mean, the subject matter of this song is about the most opposite of comedy as you can get. It's pretty depressing slash morbid <laughs> but <laughs> but the music is very uplifting you know and i feel like you know less than jake does that too you will have songs where the music's uplifting but then when you read the lyrics you're like oh these are actually kind of depressing lyrics and you know a lot of great artists have done that mm -hmm. well and, and and props to tim uh for using the word moribund in a song i, <laughs> I was gonna talk about i've that. never <laughs> I've never, I had to look the darn word up and let literally, you know, some of the, I don't know if some of the listeners uh, knew what that meant, but I had to recite the definition. I, I was like, wow, this is, uh, this is different, but uh, that, that, yeah. that made me chuckle. <laughs> yeah. He referred to that as the grab the, the sorest part of songwriting. And I thought that was so funny because of course I've done that before. I, I feel like every songwriter, whether they want to admit it or not, at some point has grabbed the thesaurus or, or Googled the thesaurus to try to find like a word or two to use in their song that you might not normally hear in a song. I didn't even know that word mm -hmm. before. That's the first time I ever heard it. Yeah, but I, I think the other thing that was refreshing was, was Tim's attitude about the whole thing. I think he knows his place uh, in, in terms of, you know, look, I'm known as a comedian. I've lived my dream being a comedian. I'm well known. I'm, I'm you know, I'm good at it. I, my, I have a passion for music, but, you know, if people don't take my music seriously because of who I am, whatever. You know, I, I love playing music for the love of playing music, and, and that, that's awesome. That's the right reason to make music. Yeah. You know, sure. that's, there's there's never been a more correct reason. I mean, correct. I don't know if that's the right word. There's never been a more uh, um, honest mm, Honest, yeah, an honest reason to make music, and that's uh, probably a big part of why this is so great. And also, you know, Tim talked about so who produced? I forget what the dude's name who that produced this song, but a thing that he talked about, which I think is very true, is that a good producer knows when to hold things back and not just throw everything in. I took that away a little bit from. I talked to my bandmates about this, but. I took that away from the Huey Lewis episode, too, when he talked about harmonies and, like, holding off on those because our instinct was always to, like, harmonies from the start because harmonies sound awesome. Like, no, they're going to be more effective if you hold off and then use them as a lift because if you're using them the whole time, if you're throwing the whole kitchen sink in the whole time, like in this song, if you did that, yeah, they're not going to have the impact that they do when they do happen. Yeah, no, it's the whole uh, less is more thing. And I, I think that if you would have uh, muddied this track up with, with a bunch of stuff, it, it wouldn't have uh, the authentic feel that it has, that retro feel. I think it's I think it's perfect as is. Yeah, less is more is usually the case, Chris. But when it comes to leaving reviews of our podcast, wherever you listen to it, I would say more is more. We want more reviews. <laughs> we do. If you do. enjoy this podcast, yeah. <laughs> if you enjoy this podcast, go leave us five stars and a review 
wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, we love making this show. And man, we've had some awesome guests lately, Chris. And, you know, I give credit to our listeners for helping us raise the profile of this podcast to be able to have people like Tim Heidecker on uh, because this is awesome, man. This was so exciting. You, I, I got to say, my friends knew how excited I was about this episode today. I see as we're recording this, I have my uh, text messages up on my computer, all these texts like, how did it go? How was it? <laughs> you know, like people people want to know, you know. I, it's awesome. I'm kind of a big fan, you know. Heck yeah. Well, yeah, like Chris said, please leave us a review. We could use them. They help out a lot. They help us get the guests that you want. Please join our Facebook group, Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. It's awesome. It's fun. Follow me on Instagram at Less Than Christy. And I want to thank this week's guest, Tim Heidecker, for sitting in with us. And we'll see you next week. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalist. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, peer pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.